Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is what would normally be our December monthly episode, but we've held it over a few days so we can combine it with our hot take review of Resolution, the New Year's Day special. Rob, how are you? I'm, oh well, Dave, I'm I'm ill, as anyone who follows me on my, my personal Facebook or whatever will know. I'm, I'm ill, so apologies for the voice, people. But I'm here, I'm ready to talk about Resolution, and Happy New Year, Dave. And Happy New Year to you as well. So yes, we will be talking about Resolution, but this is a full monthly episode. We've got some news, which we haven't done for a bit over a month now, so a few things to cover there couple of other topics but yeah our main topic for the day will be a hot take of resolution which i finished watching about 20 minutes ago yes and i finished about an hour ago so we're both you know we've, it's fresh in our minds i believe it, it is we're sitting here on the 2nd of january in the morning so completely not connected to anything really it's just another episode for us that's exactly right and and i'm glad it's in the morning because later in the day it's probably going to hit 40 degrees again here um and i am going to melt so i'm really pleased i'm sitting in this tiny room with the door shut while it's still relatively cool it's probably like 25 degrees at the moment look look that's so true and it's why you know i saw a lot of friends in the uk that i follow on twitter and doctor who fans that i follow on twitter in the uk saying on christmas day oh it's really bad not having a doctor who episode i really missed the doctor episode i didn't notice it at all and that's not because i'm normally quite down at christmas episodes although i am but <laughs> we don't have christmas episodes in australia it's something you kind of watch on a 40 degree day after the cricket on boxing day and it just isn't the same thing for us. I don't think it, I missed it at all. Yeah, I can't think of a single Australian series that does Christmas episodes off the top of my head. I'm sure someone will write in and say, oh, well, this one does it and this one does it. But really, off the top of my head, I don't think it's common at all. Oh, well, there was the um, Charlie of the Wonder Dog Christmas special, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little joke there for the very few people who've probably seen that series. Uh, but but no, it, it, it isn't the same for us. And, you know, people don't watch the TV nearly as much at this time of year in Australia. It, it, it's light and hot outside until 8, 9pm. It's not the time yeah. when you sit around the um, the TV. You're more likely to be out playing backyard cricket or or something. So, yeah, just, just reinforcing, again, a different part of the world for us. Exactly right. Look, shall we rip into the news, Dave? We should, we should. Now, the one thing that I'm going to say at the top of the news is that I've been looking back at all of the news and gossip and rumours about mm. what was going to happen in Season 11. And just appreciating how many of them were fundamentally wrong. Yes. <laughs> you know, many of the things that were predicted for the series didn't happen. You know, episode counts were just clearly guesses. Uh, and, and many of them weren't correct until the last moment. The writer's room thing that was being told was this fact. Where did that come from? Wasn't that yeah, wasn't that Gatus or someone? I think Gatus might have said it. Like, oh, he's going to have a writer's room and I'm not part of it. I think that might have been where it started. Yeah, so look, I guess what I'm saying is you can uh, take a lot of stuff that we're probably going to say over the next 12 to 18 months and just remember, most of it turned out to be not be true with season 11 and it will probably be the case with season 12. Yeah, I think the only thing we can say with certainty is we've now seen Doctor Who for uh, 2019 and we won't be seeing any more for 2019. I think we can say that. No, well, that's exactly right. So I'm now looking here at a Radio Times article that came out overnight and it says here very clearly, 
Speaking at a BBC screening of the New Year's Day episode, BBC Director General Tony Hall clarified that the series would air, quote, very early in 2020. So it could be that the series is more likely to air in the first couple of months instead of spring, as some fans have supposed. However, the series is still a long way off in the schedules, so it's impossible to say for sure. So one thing we know for absolute certain about season 12 is that it is not going to be broadcast this year. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, people have thought uh, spring, I guess they're thinking of Easter time, maybe, because that's been a a traditional Doctor Who time slot as well in past years. Uh, But I mean, Easter comes as early as March sometime, and I'd call that early in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Look, my assumption based on what we've had there is that it's going to air at a similar sort of time to the RTD series. So that sort of second quarter of the year, whether it's you know, a mid-March start or a mid-April start, you know, I mean, that's... Let's face it, the BBC probably doesn't know that either. They will just have a sort of a a three-month block where it's Mm. likely to be shown. Um, Now, we'll discuss this further, but just a couple more quotes from the article. Mm. The 13th Doctor Jodie Whittaker and her TARDIS team Bradley Walsh, Tosin Cole and Mandeep Gill are all set to return, along with showrunner Chris Chibnall behind the scenes. And just another quote, Rob, production has already begun on the new series of episodes, with the team expected to continue filming at Roweth Lock Studios in Cardiff and on location over the coming months. So I think there's something that we can take as fact. The new series has started production, uh, whether that's actually filming or, or pre-production, I'm not sure, but it's certainly close to filming, if, if not already. It's certainly got the same regulars that all you know, we're in resolution and got back into the TARDIS at the end of resolution. We can now say without that being a spoiler, I think, and it's not going to be screened this year. What do you make of it all, Rob? Well, it's very interesting with the filming dates because I think they went into pre-production late uh, 2017 and by January, I think they're out in South Africa. Here we are in January talking about production possibly filming it's like they're on the same schedule that enabled them to put episodes out at the end of 2018 uh and yet they're going to be pushed back i guess four or five months until early 2020 uh so i wonder what's happening there are they doing a few blocks and then having a break maybe and before they make their next few blocks or i'm just pointing out that they were doing this same schedule last year and it enabled them to put the episodes out a lot sooner so hmm, that's interesting it is very interesting and it just reinforces how much the scheduling is a conscious decision on the part of the bbc and, and i've seen a lot of fan commentary that is uh, very forgiving of what the bbc want to do and, and trying to rationalize it all and and the like of it but let's be honest You can't escape the fact that if the BBC wanted to air Doctor Who on any particular time or date, they have the money and the ability to do it. Now, now, sure, if they want to have uh, Doctor Who in June of this year, then that means that they can't make something else. And that's the the decision that all production companies and TV stations make. If you show something in one slot, you can't show something else. If you have 10 hours of Doctor Who, that's 10 hours of everything else you can't have. If you have... 20 hours of Doctor Who, then that's another 10 hours, etc., etc., etc. So the BBC can have as many episodes of Doctor Who as often and wherever it wants, as long as it's willing to dedicate the money and the resources. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting, though, is that clearly, if they're filming in this financial year, it's coming out of this year's budget. Yeah. And, and so there, there is, as you say, a deliberate decision not to show this for another 
15 say months and that's a really extraordinary decision i could understand saying you know what doctor who's expensive it's not as big a priority as it used to be for us and so therefore we're only making a series every 18 months and maybe you know we don't want it in this financial year's budget that would be a decision that you know would be a shame but i would totally understand the bbc prioritizing other series particularly new series very reasonable thing to do but spending the money and making an episode and not showing that episode for 15 months and presumably episode one will be in the can possibly even now if if not certainly in the next few weeks Mm. yeah by the end of january let's say yeah that's a long time to keep it in the can if it is a deliberate decision to move it back to the rtd era part of the year that's a reasonable thing to do um I know that there's lots of talk, you know, in the UK, particularly where it gets dark at 3pm sometimes of the year, how that affects schedules and stuff. And that's not really an implication we have here. But it is very, very, very strange. And above it all, whatever their explanation or however they're doing it, the BBC doesn't want to show Doctor Who in 2019. That's a fact. Mm. Yeah, although, you know, it just popped into my head. I was thinking, you know what? They could pull something interesting here because they will have these episodes in the can. What if at the end of the year they sprung a surprise and put out five episodes, then a small break, the New Year's episode, then a small break, then the next five episodes at Easter and just sort of spaced things out a bit? Look, it's possible that they're going to do that, although this article suggests that that's Mm. not the case. I mean, And there you're into what sort of those middle seasons of Moffat ended up being, which was basically a season of six by stealth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I know we call series six and particularly series seven one series, but let's face it, they're actually two seasons of sort of six episodes for, for budgetary reasons. And Yeah, that's right. You know, that, that, that's, you know, I'm sorry, guys, that's just is how it is. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge here. There's a lot of rationale to come in. I mean, and, and, and look, maybe it is just the BBC saying, look, we like Doctor Who, we want to keep making Doctor Who, we'll support Doctor Who, but it is into its 12th series. We've got new shows we want to make. We've got new talent we want to show off. Sorry, this just isn't a priority that it used to be. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah, look, I, I must admit I am as well. But, yeah, look, I guess we won't be doing any more hot takes in 2019. So uh, if you like our hot takes, enjoy this one. yes we will get to resolution soon but before then i've got some news here dave yes this is a documentary that a uh, chap i believe is in the uk is putting together called episode backlash uh and it's primarily a documentary about the backlash there have been to uh star wars films of late um so the episode comes from you know star wars films are called like episode four episode five whatever so it's episode backlash and he wants whovians to join in and get involved with this documentary and give their opinions on whether the same things that have been happening in star wars fandom are happening in doctor who fandom primarily complaints of things being too pc and uh, all the sort of criticisms that have been getting thrown at star wars he wants to see if that's been happening in doctor who as well and whether doctor who's going down the same path and i've got to say i find this quite fascinating because i think within certain parts of fandom that is the case i think this guy's got something solid to attach his documentary to here and i'm going to follow this with uh with much interest yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I hadn't heard about that one, and that is something I'll be very interested in watching as well. And, and yes, I think the, the the comparisons are not perfect, but the overlap is, I think you're right, Rob, significant. 
Yeah, and look, for me, uh, people who have known me for a long time know that I originally, well, not even originally, but a long time ago, did a uh, podcast called Who Wars, which was the world's first and so far only Doctor Who and Star Wars mashup podcast, where I talk about both properties in the same podcast. So I've got quite some interesting thoughts on this. I might even get in touch with him and get involved if I can. Yeah, that, that would be very interesting to do. And uh, I suspect we'll talk more about that as that nears fruition. But um, mm. I guess we should mention, though, we're not getting any more Doctor Who in 2019, but we are getting a big Star Wars movie. Yes, indeed. The Star Wars movie to wrap up the Skywalker saga. Well, that's what they say, at least. And also to try and tie together a lot of loose ends and dead ends that I think the uh, the second film in this latest trilogy uh threw up i know i know you like the last jedi day but i gotta say i think it really sent the 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 saga off into some strange places and it's going to be interesting to see how jj abrams pulls it all back in and wraps things up satisfyingly in you know a a two-hour movie or whatever i like the last jedi as you say i totally respect why some people didn't i get that it was a controversial film i just hope that with jj back on board for the sake of the planet and for the sake of humanity, I hope that everybody loves Star Wars Episode Nine. I think we'll be a, a happier world if Star Wars Episode Nine is just universally loved. Oh, look, Dave, just to go off on a tangent, I still can't believe that Lucasfilm had J.J. write the first film and it was quite successful, very successful, actually, and he put together treatments for where the story would go based on what he had set up. And then Lucasfilm goes, OK, Ryan Johnson, you do your own thing for this second film. And he took some of JJ's concepts, he threw others away, he uh, he turned some on their head, which some people think is edgy and others think is stupid. And Lucasfilm just allowed the trilogy to go off in all these directions that I don't think JJ had been planning on. <laughs> and the third movie, of course, was going to be directed by Colin Trevorrow, so then it was going to go in another direction altogether. But now JJ's back because Colin Trevorrow got thrown off it, and now he's sort of bookending a series where the middle part, possibly the most important part, aren't his ideas and aren't what he was going to do so my god what a challenge that is for him to to follow you for a moment down that that little pathway rob it's fascinating because since we had the last jedi we've of course had uh marvel release infinity wars Mm. and the contrast there is significant i mean i think there's little doubt that in terms of box office in terms of cultural impact and and expectation the marvel franchise has actually passed the star wars franchise in the last couple of years Mm. and i'm not saying that in any judgmental way i think that is simply a fact what is fascinating is that um kevin feige behind the marvel films has done a lot of work to make sure that they are one coherent narrative over nearly 20 films and look some of them are brilliant some of them are less brilliant i actually watched Doctor Strange on Netflix for the first time the other day and I turned it off halfway through. I was so bored. But Mm. some of them are brilliant movies. Yeah. And Infinity Wars particularly. But to watch those movies build in such a steady way, bringing different plot strands, characters, and and have so many of these things come together and pay off in Infinity War and, and continue with two big movies this year. And then, as you say, watch Star Wars sort of go, well, you do your thing and you do your thing. And look, we'll set some stuff up in Episode 7. And we have no idea what the implication will be in Episode 9. I mean, (laughs) the contrast between the the way the two franchises is being managed is significant. And Kathleen Kennedy, who is doing what should be the Feige job for Star Wars, is frankly not doing that job. And that, I think, is the problem with the saga. Not 
the individual movies, but the complete lack of an overarching vision for these films. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I'm I'm not a huge Marvel fan. Probably half the films I haven't even seen. Uh, I've seen the other half, and I thought they were pretty good. I'm, I'm just not hugely into it. But I, I absolutely get what you're saying and the way they've tied together so many films. And here, Lucasfilm couldn't tie together, you know, The Force Awakens with The Last Jedi. I couldn't tie together two films. Exactly. It, 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 it is absolutely mind-blowing. It is. But yeah, so look, some stuff to watch there. A few smaller news items, Rob. I had uh, Mark from Footy to the Doomsday send me a uh, WhatsApp message a few days ago saying that he just discovered on a um, uh, a website that sells audiobooks that they were advertising in July a audiobook called Resurrection of the Daleks by Eric Saywood. Wow, that is actually huge. I've wanted that book to be written for about 30 years. So, look, this actually opens up more questions than it answers. All we know at the moment, and several websites are now selling this or, or pre-ordering this, is that there will be an audio book. It's called Resurrection of the Daleks, and it's said to be by Eric Saywood. What this actually is, we have no more information. But could we assume that this means that Saywood has written the actual book and we're going to get a target novel, so to speak, of Resurrection that will be quickly turned into an audiobook? Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? And, and oh, is it too much to ask for Revelation as well? Well, I assume if he's got a contract for Resurrection, he's doing Revelation as well. I mean, the, the only reason they haven't been done in the last 30 years is that Saywood didn't want to novelise them and didn't want somebody else to novelise them. So if he's changed his view on one, presumably he's changed his view on the other. So, look, we don't know a lot at the moment. It could all be something completely different, but it is just possible we're going to get the last two classics era target novels this year. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just very excited by that, uh, even if my voice betrays me because I am sick and I can't, I can't show super enthusiasm, but I am actually very excited to hear that, Dave. If I get too excited, I'll start coughing. <laughs> no, totally agree. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm very, very keen as well. It'd be really interesting to see those. Yeah. A uh, quick one from me. It's also book related. Uh, we've discussed in the past Doctor Who meets Scratchman, which was uh, back in the 70s. I think Tom Baker and Ian Marta kicked around this idea of a Doctor Who movie. It was going to be Doctor Who meets Scratchman, essentially Doctor Who meets the devil. Uh, it never went anywhere, didn't get any funding and so on. But in more recent times, we had the news that, you know, there was going to be a novel of this. And on a lot of websites, including still the Penguin UK website, it says it's by Tom Baker and James Goss. But I do notice in a lot of publicity and a lot of more recent listings for it on other websites, it's just being promoted as by Tom Baker. And I think, okay, fair, he had the, the story idea, but I've got a distinct feeling this is written by James Goss, you know, based on Tom's story, and then Tom is going to narrate the audio. And I just feel it's a bit disingenuous to, to go out to the fans and say, this is by Tom Baker. Because it's it's really not. It's, it's by James Goss. It's a James Goss book. He's written many great Doctor Who novels. And I just wonder how he feels sort of being written out of the history of this book at this point in time. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And one I think we'll have to see the progression of. Because you're right. I think actually with the sort of fans who would buy this book, which let's face it is a fairly niche little book. Hmm. James Goss actually would be almost as big a draw card in terms of his writing uh, than Tom Baker would be in, his, in terms of his involvement. 
Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think there's no problem with having, you know, Doctor Who meets Scratchman, story by Tom Baker, written by James Goss or something on the cover. I've got no problem with that, but yeah, they seem to have been writing him out of it. And does that mean he won't do any publicity for it? Or <laughs> I don't know look, what it's going to mean. Yeah, I hope that's not the case. And I think they'll be shooting themselves in the foot if it was, because Scratchman by Tom Baker, you go, oh, that sounds really interesting. The book actually written by James Goss, people like you and I, and as I say, the sort of people that I think are the target demographic to buy this, would go, oh, James Goss, he's a great writer. I've loved his other work. Now that's gone from being, I'll check that out to, I must get that. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Speaking of books, class showrunner Patrick Ness is going to have a big year because one of his books, The Knife of Never Letting Go, is actually going to be released as a big-budget movie uh, with a scheduled date of March the 1st this year. And shall I tell you the two stars, Rob? Oh, please. Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. Wow! That is huge. Yeah, so having Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley, two very hot properties at the moment, in your movie is a big deal. It's got about a 90 to $100 million budget, which puts it in the... Um, you know, decent budget, good special effects, but uh, not throwing so much money at it that it will almost certainly flop. Um, so it's a nicely budgeted piece. The plot sounds very... Look, it's, it's a YA dystopia thing. Um, whether it's a bit late to catch that, I don't know. But look, well done, Patrick Ness. I think he's now set up for retirement. Oh, fantastic. And of course, Patrick Ness and Class, uh, some of our listeners out there may be thinking, oh, Class, bleh, terrible. But guys, as I say to people online when they give that reaction, did you actually watch it till the end? Did you get to the metaphysical episode? Did you get to the... I can say this now. Did you get to the weeping angels invading Earth in the final episode and it was all going to kick off? No, you didn't get to that. You probably should have kept watching. It wasn't that bad. (laughs) Rant over. Yeah, no, look, we we both enjoy class. Uh, Not on the running schedule, Rob, but some news that came in overnight... Uh, Kaleidoscope, who do a lot of work restoring missing television, have put out a tweet, and we'll retweet this from the account after we finished recording, uh, saying that they have come into possession of a lot of off-air audio recordings, including some of Doctor Who from the 1960s, and including episodes where we do not have good existing um, Graham Strong recordings. So, for example... There's some of the Highlanders that was missing from the Graham Strong archive. That is now going to be complete. Um, the Daleks Master Plan, I'll talk about this in a mini-topic shortly, has got some very dodgy episodes in there. They've now recovered those. The Celestial Toymaker, which was missing from the Graham's collection, has been good. So we now have proper off-air recordings of those audios as well. So um, some big news for fans of 60s Doctor Who. The details are still very murky. As I say, I'm kind of reading this from a tweet that went around a few hours ago. Mm. But potentially we have some better quality audio copies of Missing Doctor Who, which is always a good thing in my view. Oh, that is great. For people who aren't as into this topic, we do have audio of all the episodes, but some of it is very, very ropey. It's it's the Graham Strong archive first and Daylight second. So if these can be as good as Graham or almost as good as Graham's recordings, wow, that's huge. Uh, yes, yeah, so in some cases they are better, uh, oh, which is wow. re- which is really interesting. So, uh, yeah, going to be watching the, this space to see what they do with all of those. Yeah, fantastic. Shall we leave the news and get on to our mini topics? Uh, yes, yeah, so look, one from each of us this month, Rob. And my mini topic is just to share with you all that over this break that's been a bit of a quieter period in my life after a fairly busy 2018, 
I've been watching a lot of William Hartnell era Doctor Who. Hmm. And I've been enjoying it immensely. One thing that was very interesting was a couple of months ago, whilst I was driving around, I decided to put on the audio of uh, Marco Polo, one of my favourite stories. I really enjoy it. And, and I loved it so much. As I was listening to it driving around, I thought, gee, this this sounds so wonderful, but how would they have done the locations for this? And, I, you know, because they move from city to city to town to town and you've got the plateau, you've got the Gobi Desert, uh, the bamboo forests. And I, wonder, I thought, how do they do it? And then I suddenly occurred to me there's a reconstruction of this isn't there and so for the first time in about 20 years i actually went and watched a recon and in this case of marco polo and look i still prefer listening to the audios and watching a recon Uh, i find them quite hard to watch but yeah as a chance to actually see the visuals and, and photos and there's a lot of photos of marco polo of this story and seeing how it was done it just added a new dimension for me and that was something that was Really enjoyable. So, um, Marco Polo, I've watched the Daleks. I've watched the Dalek Invasion of Earth. They were fantastic. Yeah. Um, for the first time since it came out on DVD, I went back and rewatched Galaxy 4. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know that, that episode that was one of the more recent, I mean, it's years ago now, but one of the more recent missing episode finds, Galaxy 4 Part 3. Mm. I, you know, this is only the second time I've watched it, and that was great. Um, I've watched The Crusades because that's a great story and I really enjoyed that. Um, and I've been listening at the moment. I'm, I've got two episodes to go. I've been listening to The Dalek Master Plan, another favourite of mine, um, partly because it has a Christmas episode and also a New Year's Day episode, don't forget. Mm-hmm. And, and don't anybody think that, oh, well, just because it was broadcast on the 1st of January. No, no, no. Episode 8 of Dalek's Master Plan is a New Year's Day special. That includes the TARDIS stopping in Trafalgar Square at midnight on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Very so good. It, it is actually a New Year's Day special. Uh, but yeah, really enjoying that. I mean, that is a great story. Although it really struck me this time, the death of Katarina in part four, yeah. just how horrific that is. I mean, we've all, well, sorry, most fans have probably seen that clip of Katarina's death where they are mm. shouting at her in the airlock and she, she, she opens the airlock to, um, you know, sacrifice herself to kill the... Um, kill the person who's, who, who's trying to steal the spaceship. The lead-up to that really is really, really dark. She is screaming. She's terrified, mm. absolutely terrified. And it really comes across, and it's incredibly powerful, and I think it's very much overlooked because it is a missing episode. But, look, yeah, I've just sort of spent the last month or so watching and listening to Hartnell and remembering why I absolutely love this era and some of these stories. They're just so good. Check out our Hartnell special, folks. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Well, Dave, I haven't been actually watching a lot of Doctor Who recently. Maybe it was because we did that 10-week slog through the, the new series and I just wanted something different. So my wife and I finally got around to watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, which we've mentioned on this show before. And I know we're in the middle of our Doctor Who episode here, but it does have a few Doctor Who, how should I say, uh, parallels. Okay, I didn't mm. know that. Yeah, so I'll look, I'll, I'll give my non-spoilery thoughts and I'll try and rattle through as quick as I can. Straight up, after the first two episodes of this, I was borderline going to give it up. And I, I know pilot episodes or introductory episodes or whatever you want to call them are often the slowest and most boring in any series. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? You know, when you're watching something, it's always the first episode that n- never quite 
nails it because they're trying to introduce everybody. It's certainly very hard to judge a series based on that, yes. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And so I persisted after the first two episodes. I really wasn't impressed by them, but I persisted. And I thought by episode three, oh, this is actually good. It, it really lifted for me almost magically at episode three, the episode where I thought this is probably my limit. It suddenly lifted. And I thought, this is really good. And, you know, it's definitely not a series for kids like the original Sabrina, which I know you loved was, um, you know, because beneath this veneer, there's polyamorous witch orgies going on. There's people getting their throats cut. They say praise Satan all the time. It's it's really, well, it's actually quite funny. It's, it's like in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer realm of funniness, you know, but it's certainly not for kids. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now into the Doctor Who stuff. Of course, you've got Kian and Shipka from uh, Mad Men. She was Sally Draper. She's doing Sabrina. But her big adversary, not that she really knows she's an adversary, Miss Wardwell, is played by Michelle Gomez. Oh, okay. That's right. We did mention in a news item a few months ago she was going to have a role, didn't we? Yes. And you know what? She is she is unhinged and nasty, but she's in control of it. And I think... If any Doctor Who fans out there have been watching it, what did you think of that? Would you have liked Missy to have been played more like that? Well, you know, this is a really evil person. They're going to do horrible stuff. But they're in control of themselves. They're not all sort of skipping around the screen being Mary Poppins. It's it's a much better performance from Gomez. Interesting. Well, my sister's also been very positive about this series. And she's not a genre fan in the way that you or I are. She just likes, you know, good television like, you know... And she's, she's, she's like the general public, I guess. And she and her husband have both been watching and enjoying this and saying, I've got to watch it. So, yeah, look, a couple of series. I'm, I've got a few episodes to wrap up on, but I think next is going to have to be Sabrina. Mm. And, and another Doctor Who, well, it's not a Doctor Who reference, but maybe something I'd like to see happen. There's a character called Ambrose in this, uh, played by Chance Perdomo. He's British. Uh, he's a young guy. And I think he could make an excellent Doctor one day. He's just really, oh, so watchable, so quirky, so likable, you know? It's like, oh, this guy could be the Doctor any day. Interesting. Well, I'm mm. definitely going to have to watch it. I'm, I, I will uh, let you know when I have. Yeah, I think you'll quite like Ambrose. And finally, shout out for Miranda Otto, who, of course, is an Aussie. She's playing one of the aunties in the series, uh, Auntie Zelda, and uh, she is quite good as well. Great. Mm. Shall we move on now to our main topic then, Rob? I think we should, Dave. The time has come. All right, so we are talking about uh, Doctor Who the Vampire... Sorry, Doctor Who the... What was I saying? Resolution. Resolution, that's right. Sorry, I thought we were watching Doctor Who the Dalek Slayer. Um, <laughs> look, let's, let's just dive in. Rob, what did you think of Resolution? Well, I'll start with my word of the week, Dave. And my word of the week is tribute. Interesting. My word of the week is resolution. Interesting. Very interesting, actually. All right. So to go into my opening thoughts, uh, directed by Wayne Yip, written by Chris Chibnall. I'm not going to call this episode amazing, but I am going to say it sits among the top three of the Chibnall era so far. I think it's the best thing Chibnall's written. Uh, but again, it's still no classic. I'm okay with this episode, both as compared to Series 11 stuff, and as a standalone special, which it is, I'm I'm okay with it, and I think it's pretty good for Chibnall. I'm very similar to you, Rob. There is a lot to like in this episode. 
there are a lot of good ideas. There are a lot of very good ideas, in fact. And there are a lot of great moments. And overall, yeah, absolutely, it worked. Uh, can I say right now that it is the best episode that Chibnall has written this series? Yes, that's a very easy call to make. Mm. Where does it sit compared to the other episodes in the series that we liked more than the Chibnall ones? It's certainly in the mix. And I think it's going to take a while for me to really settle down and say, you know, exactly where does it fit in our mm. fan nerd list of exact, you know, rankings. But but I can say it is in the mix, as, as you did, of, of those better episodes. Let me say at the top as well, I'm a little unsure how we're meant to judge this because it, 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 it's here in place of the Christmas special and we know as fans that Christmas specials are episodes where you have to change your expectations a bit because it's television designed for a very particular audience, time, feel, tone, vibe. Mm -hmm. And you need to alter your expectations and perceptions of that. This isn't Doctor Who going out on a weekly night in the middle of the year. This is Doctor Who for Christmas. But Resolution's not. So are we meant to judge it just as another episode? Are we meant to judge it as a differently toned special i'm not sure and i don't think the episode was quite sure either but my final point before i throw back to you rob i I made the joke at the start but this to me felt incredibly buffy interesting and i think i think i can see why are you going to get to that later oh well we can do it now we can do it later what 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 do you what do you want to do is it because of the way the cast worked in a more ensemble way than normal? You had the Doctor, the Companions, Ryan's dad, um, the two others. You know, it was like a really big team taking on the big bad. It was partly because of that, absolutely. It was partly because of the way the world was sort of set up and, and the way the humour was injected. But also the plot itself was in part almost directly lifted from a big Buffy episode from series two in this idea of an ancient big bad that had been defeated by a human coming together, its body divided up and and sent across and then being reassembled to destroy the earth. That's, that's um, straight out of Buffy, the middle of season two of Buffy. Oh God, you're so right now that I think (laughs) about it. (laughs) Now, whether it's coincidence or whether it's because Chibnall and a lot of the production team are people like us that, you know, were hugely into Buffy at the time. I I don't know whether it's a, a, a genuine tribute, whether it's a uh, back of the mind sort of influence. I don't know, but it was very Buffy. I thought. Interesting. I thought this was very RTD. And if this wasn't the most RTD episode since RTD left, I think I'll eat my hat. Oh, okay. I'm not getting that vibe. Why do you say that? I think. The, the, the character interactions, uh, you know, the, the Ryan's dad uh, B-plot, the way Ryan sat around with his dad for a while having those deep discussions, and then later Graham was having them with Ryan's dad as well. You know, they went there was the action with the Dalek and all of that going on, but there was this B-story that was very soap opera, kitchen sink drama, RTD to me. This, this just felt hugely RTD to me. This felt like some of RTD's season finales to me, you know, if that's not overstating things too much. I see exactly where you're coming from. Didn't get that vibe, though, no. Interesting. I I had it all the way through. Okay. Hmm. I want to mention in passing the 
prelude, the opening narration or whatever you want to call it about the 8th century battle. Yes. I want to see that episode. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot to unpick there. How did they capture the Dalek? How did they get it out of its shell? Uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it seems to be an impossibility that you know, man-wielding swords could stop a Dalek, you know, no matter how many the numbers were. I, I think that would be a fascinating, incredible episode of uh, Doctor Who to see. And who knows, maybe the Doctor, maybe a future Doctor, actually turned up and helped them at that stage. Yeah, I got the sense from... I might have got the wrong end of the stick from the trailer uh, that went out originally and maybe the blurb saying, you know, an evil from across time. I thought maybe this Dalek, because we knew it was a Dalek from the start, and I'll get to that in a moment, I thought this Dalek had maybe been rampaging through time and fighting Vikings and fighting, you know, um, Renaissance people and fighting Romans and doing all sorts of stuff through time before it was stopped that that could have been quite interesting too but it didn't seem that way no i think it arrived to scout out earth it was confronted by human kind and um defeated and etc etc and and that's that's where we pick it up yeah but look just to go back to that dalek thought before i forget to mention it I don't know why they bothered with secrecy around Daleks or a Dalek being in this. You know, the way it was built up in the trailer, this is the DNA of the most deadly thing in the universe. I mean, everyone knew it was a Dalek. Even fair weather, casual fans knew it was a Dalek. And if Chibnall had been stupid enough for it to have been actually, I don't know, Crasco or something brought back to the series, no, he couldn't have been that stupid. It was always going to be a Dalek. I, I just thought the secrecy was weird. I mean, was it that much of a secret? I mean, they did have that last week or so of adverts that had the exterminate at the end. Oh, well, that's true. But I mean, the original secrecy. Yeah, look, that. I mean, that's true. I mean, I, I get why they didn't want to show the Dalek because of the different look, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> yes, we so, will. Yeah, so, so I get that. Um, look, I don't know. I, I, I started off in, in your camp, Rob, but I do think that it, developed a little bit of intrigue, um, a little bit of Gabo is coming about it all. And then when they did do the exterminate version where everybody's gone, oh, it is a Dalek, and that was enough to maybe help get the casual audience in. I don't, I don't know. I'm, it was an interesting marketing choice. And I guess when we see the ratings, we'll have a better idea of if it worked. I mean, let's be honest here. If a large audience, you know, closer to the audience that turned in for the woman who fell down rather than turned in for the battle of wherever it was. If the audience is up at that, that early figure, then the marketing campaign worked. And so we can, we can sit here and say this and the other, but it, it, if it made people watch it, then it's great. If we're sitting here and going, the ratings were, were, as I say, close to where the series was at the end of its run, then yes, maybe they should have lent on the Daleks a lot more and a lot earlier. Oh, I, I'd toss in that the, the day will, will help a lot with, uh, with the ratings for this episode. I expect it to be above the battle for whatever it was, um, simply because of the captive audience who are home looking for something on TV, and it's a bit of a tradition in the UK for there to be uh, New Year's Day specials for shows, just as there are Christmas specials for other shows. Oh, for sure. I, 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 all I'm saying is, I guess, we can analyse the adverts for it. If it delivered bums on seats, then it worked. Yeah. Should we talk about, I mean, I was banging on about RTD episodes. Can we just say how similar this was to the Series 1 episode Dalek? 
it was a Dalek on its own, showing how deadly Daleks can be on their own. I guess the difference is for a lot of it, he was out of the shell as well. That was a little different. But on the whole, it trod some of the same areas of what made Daleks so special. It might not have actually done them as well, but it was very similar. It did have similarities. Um, I don't think it was nearly close enough that you could say that it was a rip-off, but it did take that aspect of what made Dalek work so well, which is this idea of let's just focus on one Dalek being extremely cool and doing extremely good, exciting, dangerous things. Mm. I mean, as, as much as I love that, yes, we're in an era of television where you can have a million Daleks on screen... Uh, you know, this isn't the Pertwee era where somewhere on this planet there are 10,000 Daleks and they're all toys. <laughs> you know, we're in this era where you can have an army of a million Daleks. But sometimes it's like, well, okay, there's a million Daleks. So, of course, they're, they're, they're good. But any, you know, a million of any adversary is powerful. Yes. When, when one, when one is powerful and when one threatens to destroy the world, that just shows how great and powerful and effective the Daleks are. And, and I think their threat is, ironically, magnified by having one rather than a million. Oh, completely agree. And that's where I would have gone with the, the conversation if you didn't take it there. Completely <laughs> agree. Good, good. And and I did like, you You know, you mentioned there that it was out of its shell for a lot. I, I, I thought that was really good. This is a, something that we haven't done before with the Daleks. I mean, the Daleks have been around now for... 55 years mm. and so when you have got something new to do with them and and that that first half where it's um manipulating what's her name and and doing all that sort of stuff i thought was a really cool idea really well done and i thought it was something new and interesting and we've been saying now in all of our hot takes rob that part of our problem with the Chibnall era is that he's struggling to find something new to do with the show mm. so credit to him you know for, for, for doing that in this episode and finding something new to do with the show and with the Daleks. Yeah, and of course, for fan cred, we will point out that we do know that the Daleks have been out of their casings before. Uh, I think of Resurrection of the Daleks, for example, you know, Absolutely. creeping around in that warehouse. But never done in quite this way where the, the look of these Daleks from, from, say, an episode like Dalek, where the Dalek opened up and we saw the, the mutant inside, um, has sort of been taken out and now can sort of run around and, and jump on people's backs and drive them. I am the pilot and all this sort of stuff. That was very cool. Yeah, it was it was very cool. And, you know, to, to assuage fanboys like us, that, huh, Dalek, Dalek mutant it doesn't look like that. They said, no, no, this is a different sort of Dalek mutant, so it can look like anything at once. And we're all happy fanboys for that little bit of exposition. Yeah, <laughs> just needs a line, as you often say. <laughs> exactly right, exactly right. Let's talk about the look of the Dalek, though, once it got into the shell. I think this Dalek trod a fine line, Dave, between, yes, you could build this in an hour in a shed if you're an advanced alien, and the idea of, oh my god, that looks like one of those really bad convention Daleks. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> there, there, there are Daleks at conventions that are screen accurate. They're probably actually better built than the screen ones, you know, because they're designed to be more durable and stuff. Um, there are some brilliant Daleks at conventions. If you go to a, a convention with a Dalek, it's probably very, very good, dear listener. Um, but there are some terrible ones, just as there are some great cosplayers and some bad cosplayers. There are some really, really ropey, dodgy Daleks. And, and the shape of this one and some of its, its attributes i thought oh god if this was done just a little bit more crap it would actually be jokey and it would look like a bad convention dalek but it's treading that line where it looks like 
okay, yes, the Daleks put this together quickly. That's why it looks a bit crap. But it doesn't look completely crap that I'm laughing at it. No, it, it worked. It, it, you're right. It was a very fine line. It did work. Do you know what it reminded me of? No. The very first issues of the 21st century Dalek comics from the 60s, where <sighs> the very first Daleks in that are the war machines that have been built by the... Oh, no, they're not cards in the... In the um, in the comic, there's something else, the Dals maybe. But yes, they're, they're, they're the very early war machines that the Daleks are sort of based off looked very like that. Mm. So uh, I was getting very classic uh, references there. I mean, you know, it, we could sit here and I'm sure people who hated the episode will tear it apart and say, well, how could it get this part or that part and how could it work and why was it bulletproof, yada, yada, yada. But no, I ran with it. It's an alien making a part thing and had a few Dalek parts to work from. So, yeah, it, it worked. It was interesting. Um, I'm glad that it's just a one-off. I wouldn't want the Daleks to look like that forever. But, yeah, it was a cool idea and it was something different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole Dalek gun, I, I love the way uh, Lynn was wielding it, like as a hand weapon. But at the same time, I thought, why was this found with the bit of the Dalek mutant? Why was this buried with it? What You know, they're, they're splitting the mutant up because it's so dangerous. Why would you leave it with its weapons? What's yeah. going on there? I didn't realise until quite late in the episode that it was that Dalek's gun. I thought that this was going to be um, just a leftover piece from another Dalek invasion that, you know, there's been many of them, and that this, this institute that's not Torchwood... <laughs> you know, had had collected it from something else, like say from Journey's End, for example. Um, you know, there would have been some 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 destroyed Daleks in England at the end of that, mm. and that the Institute that's not Torchwood put them back and, and in the story. So I thought that's where the gun had come from, but no, it was the eighth century one, wasn't it? Well, I I'm, I am presuming so. I did at the time. Now you're putting some doubt in my mind. I might have to watch it again, and I'm sure listeners will write in if I'm wrong. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the Doctor did say something like it's found its gun or something, and she seemed to be drawing them as being the same, but it did seem odd. I mean, yeah, why would you go and bury the Dalek mutant in three parts across the world but leave the Dalek gun out mm. um, and, and, and working, and why didn't somebody pick it up and use it to conquer Europe? I'm, I'm not quite sure. It, it, it maybe qu- maybe the, uh, the courier or the messenger who got killed was carrying both and was going to bury the Dalek and then maybe send the gun on, although they were meant to stay actually stay with the Dalek once they buried it, so that probably doesn't make sense either. Yeah, not, sh- not sure. Maybe maybe that's just something we have to accept. Uh, similarly, am I right in understanding that only a third of the mutant was in Sheffield, but when it was activated, it activated the other two-thirds and they swam to London? Or they, so they, they swam to England? They magicked across the world. They teleported without any technology at all dave <laughs> okay cool just checking yeah it was a bit weird yeah that that was a bit weird i i would have been happier and again this is a really technical detail i would have been happy if it had been something like the hand of fear in that oh let's use the ultraviolet energy to regrow the other two-thirds or something that would have made much more sense to me even though it's still a highfalutin far-fetched concept it still would have made more sense it's, it's better than a third of a dalek swimming across the atlantic yeah or, <laughs> or magicking through a teleport where there's no technology to teleport it yes uh yes the name of the episode dave 
Resolution. <laughs> I kept thinking Resolution of the Daleks because we all knew it was a Dalek from the start. And that fitted with, you know, Resurrection, Revelation, Remembrance, Resolution. You know, it, it all it all sounded really good. Um, and that's what I think a lot of other people thought too. In fact, I thought maybe when the episode airs, it'll just say Resolution of the Daleks on the screen. Um, but when Jodie delivered the line that this was basically her New Year's resolution, I was like, oh yeah, because it's New Year's Day. Because, you know, I'm not actually big on New Year's resolutions, so I wasn't thinking of the term in terms of it's a new year, it's a New Year's resolution. That actually caught me unawares, I've got to say. How embarrassing. <laughs> that, that is a little embarrassing. I'm sorry, I've got to say that, Rob. <laughs> uh, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. I thought, oh, okay, in the same way that we've had a Christmas carol and a Christmas invasion and, and various other different Christmas puns, uh, this was a New Year's Day reference slash pun. I thought that was pretty obvious, sorry. Mm, yeah, I know. I know. I probably shouldn't have even admitted to it, but what the hell? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's amusing that you did. I love you for it. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Shall we get on to the characters? Uh, yeah, why not? Where do we start? Support cast or main cast? Uh, let's start with the support cast, because mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to take us too long. Okay. Um, most of them were pretty perfunctory and I think served a narrative purpose, which is fine. Well, what, what thoughts did you have? I was so excited to see Lynn come on screen because Lynn is played by Charlotte Ritchie. And if people want to go back to the time Peter Capaldi uh, retired as the Doctor, gave up the role, and we were speculating on new people to take over, I said I'd like to see Samuel Barnett as the Doctor and Charlotte Ritchie for his companion. (laughs) And people can go back and see that. I even tweeted it at Charlotte Ritchie. I think she even liked the tweet. I had a picture of her. I am a Charlotte Ritchie fan, Dave, and I wanted her to be a companion. And she popped up. I was like, oh, my God, it's Charlotte Ritchie. Yes, yes, yes. Although, no, 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 this probably means she won't be a companion now. Oh, who knows? (laughs) Sometimes you can be in Doctor Who and then come back. Uh, That is true. Were you happy with her performance? I was, actually, um, particularly in the middle where she was possessed by the Dalek. But even at the start, I thought she was quite good, felt quite real and believable. The Dalek section was fantastic. She did fall away at the end, though, and that's probably because there were just so many people in this ensemble. Um, She just got pushed aside a little. I guess it was like, oh, she's a bit groggy from, you know, being taken over by Dalek. Here, have some tablets and, you know, (laughs) a good lie down. So she didn't have much to do at the end, but I did like her for most of it. And I was just excited with Charlotte Ritchie in general. Can can we maybe just pause our character discussion, Rob, and talk about the point you've just raised there? Mm. Was the TARDIS too full in this episode? Uh, yes, but for a special, it was okay. I'm probably not explaining myself well. Um, I know in the regular episodes, three companions is too many, and here we added another, well, another three with um, uh, Lynn, Mitch, and Aaron. But I think in a special where there is a bit more time in terms of the runtime, and the stories are generally a bit bigger somehow it just works for me in a way that if this was a regular 45 minute episode i'd be like oh christ this is this is ridiculous yeah i'm i'm probably not quite as generous as you again i'm 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 struggling to put this into words i thought that they gave all of the cast something to do and so they did use the large cast well however I thought that some of those plot strands only existed to give the large cast something to do. 
and maybe the episode would have actually been better without those extra plot strands, so therefore without the extra characters. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Uh, look, are you thinking of Mitch's, oh, we kissed last night? Uh, what was that? And then that didn't go anywhere for the whole episode until the end where they got to hold hands in front of the TARDIS. And do you think Chibnall was maybe working backwards? I want them to be holding hands at the end, so I'm going to throw in this kiss thing at the start. But then it it didn't really go anywhere. They didn't kiss for the whole episode, as far as I remember. Uh, not, not so much that. More some of the, um, the actual Ryan stuff, which I guess we'll talk about in a moment. But ah. I, I just thought this could have been paired down to a, a, lot, a, a much more focused episode if it hadn't had so many characters all needing lines, I guess is, is what I'm saying. But, but on that point, it is interesting. It was very clear. I mean, this is, this is you know, pretty basic writing. Uh, if you uh, want us to feel affection or emotion for the characters when something bad happens to them, we need to make them feel human. And so that moment of humanity between the two of them at the start was meant to set that up. But you're right, it didn't quite pay off in that, yes, he was very... In, in that, yes, Mitch was very keen to make sure that she was safe, but it didn't quite... I didn't quite buy that this was something particularly special to him or, you know, more than a work colleague. And I, I don't know, it... it didn't quite work, I don't think. Yeah, it didn't ring quite true is what I'd say as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, sorry, listeners, we have really sort of come at that comment very much the long way around. And I guess we are sort of sort of still, yeah, really sorting out our feelings for this episode in some ways. Mm. The third supporting cast member was Daniel uh, Adeboyega, who yes. was Aaron, uh, Ryan's dad. I liked him. He felt so complex and a bit messed up. He felt very human to me. Um, I think he was the weak link of the episode, I'm sorry. Really? So, Rob, there's a couple of things we need to tease out here. There's his portrayal of the character and the writing of the character. Mm. I, I thought his portrayal of the character was, was fine. I wasn't blown away by his acting, but he was certainly fine. I thought that the way he was written was definitely the weak link of the episode. I thought that it was trying to do a lot in a fairly perfunctory way. I thought the resolution didn't quite pay off in the way that it could have or should have. And I'm not totally knocking it because there were some nice moments and the initial confrontation between Aaron and Graham was really good. But I think that it just... I don't know if it was too much or too little, but I don't think the balance was right. The, 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 the Goldilocks, you know, point wasn't right with this character. I see what you're saying, because I think he did play it really well. And, and maybe that's what I'm sort of resonating with the way it was played. But the way he was written and the things he was given to do, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever seen a bigger Chekhov's gun in Doctor Who than that microwave oven? Oh my god, we forgot about we haven't talked about the oven. <laughs> the Dalek defeating microwave oven. What was that all about? Uh it kind of lost me at that point, and when I watch it again, it's probably some simple explanation, but I, I don't know. But just the whole way they go to have coffee uh, at the local cafe. And he's taking the microwave oven with him. <laughs> yeah. I got a microwave oven. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I wonder how that's going to fit into the story because that's such a bizarre thing to introduce here uh, early on. Uh, that is our Chekhov's gun, I'd say. 
yeah. Uh, did you think at the end, Rob, that he was going to die? Yes. Yes. I almost thought Ryan was going to die. I almost thought Ryan was going to help him and they were both going to go out. I thought, wow, this is something. They've set this up so well. And if Ryan doesn't, at least he will. He'll sacrifice himself. He'll be like, Ryan, I, this this bugger won't get off my back. Uh, goodbye. You know, and he'll fly off into the sun. Um, wouldn't that have been amazing? So I guess they want to bring him back. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought as well. When he was gripping onto the edges of the TARDIS door as it was trying to suck the the Dalek mutant out, and, and it wouldn't separate, I thought, okay, he's going to look Ryan in the eye and say, I'm going to do something with my life, or I'm going to do something worthwhile, I'm sorry I couldn't be a better dad, and then he would let go of the out of the, the, the edges of the TARDIS door, and he and the mutant would all be sucked out together, and he would sacrifice himself to, to, to stop the mutant. I thought that's where it was going to go. Uh, had it been an RTD script, I think that's where it would have gone. Mm, but but I yes, agree. but yes, maybe they they wanted to get there. But look, I thought that it wasn't. If you're going to bring Ryan's dad back, I think you either need to give that a really. I think that either needs to be the focus of the script, and you make a really big deal of it, and you show a full arc across the episode, or you don't do it. And I think sort of having it as the the B plot detracting from the A plot, I I was left very unsatisfied by that. I was really enjoying the A-plot. I thought it was a good adventure. And whilst I like emotional stuff and taking time to do that, I'll be honest, there were times when, you know, he was sitting down having coffee with Graham and I'm like, I don't care. Get back to the Dalek. Mm. Mm. And that's, that's really it's, it's really shallow of me. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. that. That is a very shallow thing to do. But as I'm just as I'm getting involved in this great Dalek adventure and it's like some dude I've never met before, I know I'm meant to care about him because he's Ryan's dad, but I haven't met this guy before. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not as interesting as the Dalek. Yeah, look, I, I think the only reason for keeping him on is, as I say, they want to do more with him because there was no reason not to kill him off and have that great dad moment. Uh, and in an episode where so many people were killed, and we will get to the Chibnall death count... <coughs> I think they've just got plans for him. I think this might become more kitchen sinky in series two and, you know, Graham and Ryan's dad might, although they sort of were okay with each other by the end of this, maybe they'll return to being a bit narky with each other or something. I don't know. Or, or maybe there will now be tension between the adopted father figure and the actual father figure. Yeah. He certainly didn't like it when he called him Gramps. No. Hmm. Look, let's move on to the main TARDIS team. Oh, uh, but before we do, I just need to give a little shout-out because there's an adorable little moment here. Yes. Uh, so an actor by the name of Connor Calland, who played the security guard. Now, I follow, as you, as, as you know, a number of Doctor Who fans on Twitter, some of whom thought that he was a particularly pretty character. And mm -hmm. I can't disagree with that, I have to say. And so they, <laughs> they, they went to seek out who is this guy. And they're yes. very disappointed he'd been killed off. And um, they found his Twitter profile where there's a lovely tweet up from Connor that points out this is actually his first ever appearance on television as an actor and just how excited he is that, you know, what a great New Year's Day this is. So I just thought it was so wonderful because, you know, you get all these actors that appear in the show, but, you know, for somebody who's in for literally one scene and gets two lines... I just think it's so lovely that you know, this is his first ever television appearance and he's so excited that this is his breaking moment and 
uh, for something that could be very easily dismissed, you just forget what a big deal it must be to these cast members. So, um, to to Connor and to all Connor's fans, um, yeah, <laughs> congratulations. Absolutely, and I mean, gosh, we don't know the the overnights for this, but let's say it was watched by seven, eight, or nine million people. Wow, what a debut! What a debut! All right, shall we move on to the main Tartars team? Please, yes, let's go. Okay, let's start in uh, probably least important again. Yaz, still the third wheel. She was given stuff to do, uh, like escort Lynn and Mitch out of the sewers. You know, the doctor assigned her to do that. That made sense. You know, she's the police constable. Let's get her doing this. You know, but again, just fades into the background when things kick off with Ryan and Graham and now we had Ryan's dad and the doctor certainly stood up a bit more in this episode and Yaz once again <laughs> pushed into the background. Yaz really felt in this episode to me like the Terence Dix version of a companion in that her job was, in inverted commas, to pass the doctor her test tubes and tell her how brilliant she was. Mm. She, she was there just to help the doctor. Now that's an important plot function, but it's not character. And she did it fine, but look, it, it is... You know, we, we've said this many, many times about Mandip Gill and Yasmin. Um, no change, frankly. No change. And I'm I'm frankly getting sick of saying it. I, I would have loved to have been on this recording saying, oh my God, Yaz, at last. It's a New Year's Day miracle. But no, <laughs> I can't. I can't say that. No, we can't. Uh, your favourite, Ryan. Yeah, look, one of the highlights of this episode even though I did find his plot was detracting my interest from the A-plot. What he had, he did phenomenally well. Very underplayed, very introspective. Um, the sort of acting I really like. Uh, not melodramatic, not making grandiose statements. Yeah, I really liked Ryan in this. He had little to do mm. other than his little B-plot, which is a shame. Um, and, and when I sort of think back to what he did do in this episode, now I'm kind of struggling to remember anything other than talking to his dad. Uh, but what he did, he did well. Yeah, look, I think it was a really good performance, possibly one of his best, if not the best performance in the whole series, certainly up there with Rosa, which may have been his best uh, before this. I was really taken with some of the scenes he was acting in. He was really, really acting. It was great. Yeah, no, he's very, very talented, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Uh, but uh, look, again, in a cast where we had you know not just the four regulars, but four regulars plus, again, his involvement in the plot wasn't that large, but that's something we've discussed many times before as well. Mm, which moves us on to Graham. Interestingly, I think he got sidetracked in this episode a lot with Ryan's dad. <laughs> I thought Bradley Walsh did a very good job with the material he was given, but I thought he and the character were utterly wasted in this episode. Yeah, I look, completely agree. And he he had still had some good lines, but he also had maybe the biggest clunker in the whole episode when that TARDIS was arriving and he's like, it travels in time and space. And I was like, oh, oh yes. It's, you know, <laughs> just really bad. Yeah, that, that wasn't good. Um, look, he did do it well. I mean, if anybody's going to have an emotional confrontation with Ryan's father, you want it to be Bradley Walsh. He's had those moments across the series, and this was no different. He did them very well. But again, take Bradley Walsh out of this plot, and would you notice? 
Sadly not, uh, which is a real shame because he's my MVP of the whole series of yeah, Series 11. Yeah, it, it is a shame. Um, that said, though, moving Bradley Walsh to the sides did allow another character to shine a bit more, I thought. It did, and I think that means we're going to talk about the Doctor now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'll add that at last a proper adversary, and at last the Doctor stood up. Uh, yes. Is this the best performance from Jodie in the role so far? Uh, I think it's got to be. It's got to be up there. Um, I still don't think she's an overly interesting Doctor, which is not to say that she didn't do a good performance. I think she was giving it everything here, and with a proper adversary, I thought it was really great. I mean, that scene where she turned the TARDIS lights red almost to show her anger and brought um, the Dalek onto to visual comms and said, you know, you know, say it to my face. You know, I thought, oh, this is really good. But I still don't think she's an overly interesting Doctor, which is really sad. Yes, so my take on the Doctor at the end of the season proper was that she was very ill-defined, I hadn't really come to grips with the character, and that the performance was variable. I will say now that the first half of that statement hasn't changed. I still think she is a Doctor whose character I'm struggling to define and get to grips with. However, she was phenomenally well played in this, and I bought her as the Doctor... Not that I hadn't bought her as the Doctor before, but but I bought her more as the Doctor in this one. I thought this actually was her best performance and her best story in terms of her role within it. Mm. And she benefited greatly from that. And it's what we've been saying all along, that given these chances, she would do well. And I'm pleased to say she did do well. Yeah, look, let me be clear for the listeners, particularly the Not My Doctor listeners. I buy Jodie as the Doctor. And I think she puts in a good performance. I just don't think her doctor is overly interesting. Yes. You know, th- there is a distinction there. And I, I really want to get that clear because there are crazies out there and I don't want to be associated with them <laughs> at all. You know, she held this day for, I think, 98% of the episode. And then near the end, she went all childish again and was doing the, oh, come on, fam. And I was like, oh, no, no, it was so close to being, you know, an almost perfect performance in terms of what her doctor is. And then it just went a bit childish at the end. I thought, oh, damn it. I can't have everything. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Can I throw at you just a few sort of one-line comments, Rob, and get your reaction? Please. Dalek mutant, very alien face hugger. Oh, hugely. Hugely. Just in reverse. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, why did we have to not have units when we had the army anyway? Because Chibnall wanted to make a Brexit joke. Was it a Brexit joke? I think it was a Brexit joke because they're talking about funding from overseas backers, weren't they? And I took that to be European backers, uh, which would probably get cut off during Brexit. Okay, I didn't get that at all, but that makes no sense. The unit's funded by the UN, not the EU. Or is it funded by the UN these days? Since they had to change the name, are we just pretending it's an offshoot of the British government? I don't know what unit is these days. It's certainly not the United Nations Intelligence Task Force anymore. Fair enough. Well, look, if that was a joke, it was pretty lame, and I'm sure the 17 million people who voted for Brexit may not have taken it that way, but I won't get on my high horse there. Um, it, it, so I missed I miss that. If that, was an, if that was an attempt at a Brexit gag, I totally missed it. went over my head. I think it was. I'll go and rewatch it again. Listeners, if I'm wrong again, please write in. Um, but what that means is that it just seemed very weird for me that they went through this whole scene of, no, we can't get unit, 
and about five minutes later the army turned up and i'm like well why didn't we just put unit berets on them and say they were unit yeah it would have been you know just another uh ingredient for the pie it would have been oh we've got unit in this episode as well fantastic but it seemed to be overruled by wanting to do a Brexit joke, as far as I can see. Yeah, look, uh, and maybe some people found that a very humorous scene. Uh, did you like the humorous, what are we going to do now with all the Wi-Fi out scene? I thought it was quite funny. Oh, yeah. Look, you saw the line coming a million miles away, but it still it still landed. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it. Um, deliberate echo of the Dalek making its casing with the scenes of the Doctor making her sonic screwdriver in the first episode. I did think that at the time, yes. Yes. Um, well, the Doctor does make a good Dalek, <laughs> as, as the Dalek once told uh, him. Yeah. Look, Rob, neither of us are fans of the sonic screwdriver, but were you particularly annoyed with it, with it here? Because I was. Uh, in what way? I always get annoyed when Jody looks at it for a readout, and we know there's not a readout on it. I know I probably say this in every episode. That always pisses me off about the sonic screwdriver. Jody, there is no readout on it. What are you looking at? Smithy, yes, you did yes. the same. What the hell? There was there was a lot of that. And, and the moment that really annoyed me was when she came out of the TARDIS, saw Lynn, and just scanned her with the sonic screwdriver. I just thought, why are you even doing that? That's not how you greet people, by trying to, you know, <laughs> unscrew them. You know. <laughs> uh, I know yes. the sonic screwdriver has fans, but I thought it was particularly awful in this one. Yeah, fair enough. Shall we move on to the Chibnall death count? Uh, Yes, now, it's going to be pretty high for this one. Dave, it's really hard to quantify because those soldier deaths were all over the place. Yes. But in addition to that, I would say there was the messenger at the start, or the courier who was taking the body part across uh, Yorkshire. Oh, yes. There were the two cops. I assume the Dalek killed them both. Yes. Uh, There was the farmer. Yes. There was the uh, security guard, who you're sweet on. Uh, yes, there... <laughs> once again, an example of the trope that uh, all gays must die before the end of the episode. <laughs> there was the guy at comms headquarters. Uh, there were presumably a lot of comms headquarters people being killed off screen when he's sitting there going like, oh, shit, and he can hear, you know, yes. the gun and the screams yeah. and stuff. There was the Dalek itself. And there were tons of soldiers in that scene with the soldiers. So I don't actually have a firm death count on this episode, but I'll go out on a limb here, Dave, and say it's probably as many as in the entirety of Series 11 put together. Uh, If you're counting all the soldiers, if if you count everybody who dies on screen, it must be about 20. If you count the people who die off screen as well, it's much, much larger. Even if you actually count only people who have an IMDb credit, it's still half a dozen or so. And what did we say in our wrap-up of Series 11? When Chibnall kills people, the drama ratchets up, and it's a better story. And it is so, so true. The death of those police people, up to the tension, up the drama, up the stakes. Uh, the one that I really liked was the guy at the um, uh, GCHQ, where mm. he had that moment of, I mean, you know, harm, I surrender, and the Dalek just exterminates him. Yeah. That, to me, is like, yes, this is what Daleks do. This is It's, it's a 10-second moment. But again, it just shows what this Dalek's doing, and it ratchets up the tension. Really, really, really good. I think it, it justified everything we've said. And, you know, let's be fair again. Having asked for this for 10 episodes to finally have got it, we are very happy to say thank you, well done. It was great. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not that we revel in death and seeing people die, you know, I hasten to add. It's just that it does ratchet up the tension. If you have the world's worst killing machine there, it's got to kill people rather than just shout at them. Yeah, for example, I think had Chibnall killed Lynn, 
that would have been a very disappointing moment. I think that would have been a little bit cruel. Um, had he killed Aaron, though, I think it would have been a very dramatic moment. So, you know, like one decision, less keen on the other. But yeah, I thought it worked really, really well. And and again, echoes of that, the woman who felt worth stuff. I, we, we spoke even 10 episodes later about the impact of that grandfather who's the security guard. And you get a couple of moments of hey, I've got a granddaughter and I love her and I'm a real person, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. And he did that with a security guard that, hey, I'm a young guy, I've got a boyfriend, and I'm really excited to have my first job, and he gets killed, and that makes it just a little bit more powerful than him being a complete red shirt. Yeah, agreed. Shall we go to the sports desk? Let's go. So, Rob, once again, we are at the sports desk. We are discussing our player, our play, and our foul of the week. Do you want to lead us off with your play of the week? Absolutely, Dave. Uh, It's something I've mentioned already. It's only a small scene in the scheme of things, but it just really resonated with me. It's Jodie throwing that lever, switching the visual, the TARDIS lights going red, and her saying, you know, say it to my face. I thought, yes. That's the Doctor taking on an adversary. I love it. That could very easily have been mine. I thought that was a great moment. Possibly Jodie's best moment so far. Oh, it'd be in the top three. It would be, it would be. Um, Mine, and I'm going to be really shallow here and give it to the Dalek taking out an entire squad of soldiers because I love Daleks. I love Daleks being Dalek-y and just showing how powerful and formidable they are. And so to have a really cool confrontation with some soldiers where the Dalek takes them all out I just thought yes this is this is what I want well it takes you back to remembrance doesn't it where they changed the Dalek effect of being shot by one and the Dalek shot those 1960s squatties in uh in the junkyard and it was like oh my god this is exciting this was more of the same yeah absolutely and particularly as the casing of the Dalek looked a little bit rickety Mm. to to see it working so well and go actually no this is a full-on Dalek and the Doctor's going to have a real issue stopping this. I just thought, nah, that was a really cool scene. Excellent. Uh, we always like to end on a, on a high, so we should probably go to the foul. So my foul is a moment that we have actually mentioned already, Rob, and that is the moment where the microwave just pops out of nowhere. Literally, Graham and Aaron have left Graham's place to go get a cup of coffee. Somewhere along the way, he's decided that he's going to pull a microwave out of somewhere and try and sell it to the person he's buying coffee for. Like, what? <laughs> yep, Chekhov's microwave. Just, I'm with you on this. It was just... It, it wasn't even... Like, like why? Yeah. What, what, it, it, even the most, the most passionate of salespeople doesn't order a coffee and say, by the way, do you want to order? Do you want to buy a microwave? I mean, at least maybe if, you know, he'd ordered a bacon sandwich and been told, oh, the microwave is busted. That's good. I sell microwaves. Like I got one in the van. Like, like that would have been pretty awkward as well, but at least it would have been less awkward than just, hey, by the way, I'm selling this guy a microwave for no apparent reason out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, look, to unravel this, I guess the Doctor could have cobbled something together on the TARDIS. Instead, they wanted Ryan's dad involved. They wanted to highlight he was an engineer and was competent in some way. So work backwards from there. And that's how they shoehorned it in. It's still really clunky, though. It's super clunky. It 
was never going to be anything other than clunky, but they could have reduced the clunky factor just somehow, or or even, you know, the, the microwave had been the thing that got damaged when the TARDIS arrived, and so Graham was, like, picking it up off the floor when the TARDIS came mm. back. You know, like, just something to make it a little bit less clunky, but... Oh, no, that's that's <laughs> that's my foul. Sorry, that was very weak scripting. I hear you, Dave. Uh, my foul could have easily been the Brexit gag about unit, but it really came down to what underpinned the whole episode. And there's two elements to this. I can't split them, so I'm just going to throw both elements out there. We've already spoken about this to some degree as well. Uh, first, it's the backstory. You know, putting aside how relatively primitive people got the Dalek out of its casing... What was the deal with the guy being ambushed on the road? You know, why didn't the thieves investigate the beautifully wrapped package that he had? Because when it comes to modern times, he's still in the same position. He's still holding the remains of the package. What about the next person to come along? Because again, he's on a road. Wouldn't someone come along later and have another look at the body? Find the package? These thoughts actually ripped me right out of the story for the first five minutes because I kept thinking about it. It would have made more sense for that scene to have been in a forest, perhaps, where no one typically goes, and they kill him. And they still would have wanted to investigate that package. So something, they kill him in the forest, something distracts them, and they get distracted from looking at the package. And that's why he then lays in the forest, undisturbed with the package. But instead, he's on a frigging road, you know? And he lays undisturbed with the same package for the rest of time, until modern times? That 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 was nuts. Um, and, 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 and sorry, I have to interrupt here. On a road that became the town hall of Sheffield. Now... I haven't Googled to check when Sheffield was founded, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't just an empty road in a paddock in the 8th century. No, it probably wasn't. Uh, that'd be actually interesting to look up. I'll, I'll do that while you're talking. Yeah, sure. The second thing, and we've spoken about this as well, is the way that ultraviolet light revived this apparently long-dead Dalek. I mean, after hundreds and hundreds of years, this would be mummified. The cells would all be dead. but And yet ultraviolet light can just revive it like that in a few seconds that's that's nuts and then the way i know you joked that it swam from the south pacific but it, it didn't it teleported itself around the world from from a little dusty hole or a sandy hole um you know <laughs> on this south pacific island it just teleports no technology nothing it just magicked itself across the world and i thought no there's got to be a better way to do this and what do you know you've already thrown one up in this very episode when you said hey the ultraviolet light could have revived it and it just grew new appendages it just grew again that is more palatable to me than it magics across the world without any device to magic across the world i will buy that ultraviolet light revived a 1200 year old Dalek corpse because hey it's Doctor Who and if the Daleks can be powered by static electricity and if the Dalek and Dalek can be um, you know reborn and heal its metal casing based on a few dabs of time vortex off Rose's touch like you, you know I, I buy that it's, it's Doctor Who you're right it's it's the reunification of it that um is just very extraordinary uh and sheffield was founded in the eighth century from a small village that was around at the time so it was not an open road and sheffield castle goes back to the norman time so there was a population around 
Yeah. Oh, look, that, that, that makes sense. It's good to know. And again, he's out in the open on a road. How does he lay undisturbed? It just makes no sense. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. He should have fallen backwards into a lake or something. Yes. Oh, yes, and became like Pete Man. Yes. You know, Pete, the, Pete, the Pete Man that they dug up out of the peat? Yes, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that would have made a lot more sense, yeah. I, I thought that as well. What I actually saw as they cut from him lying on a road to him in exactly the same position as Bones, I just thought, are you telling me nobody's even like ridden past and gone there's a guy in the middle of our street i'll just move move him to the side you know yes and what's he carrying oh i'm not going to bother looking at that either yeah it, it honestly it took me out of it for five minutes I, was, I could just kept thinking about it and how stupid it was so so let's pull both of our fouls together and mm-hmm. say in an episode i think we both enjoyed yes. i particularly really enjoyed the a plot i enjoyed what they did with the dalek and i got a lot out of this the points where we are saying we had problems were clunky plotting from Chibnall and mm. not clunky just in a oh that was a bit dodgy but clunky enough to actually make us go stop the episode this is a bit dodgy what do they think okay okay right now I need to get back into the episode yeah quite literally let's go then to our player of the week Rob Dave and it's not just because I have a crush on her and wanted her to be a companion <laughs> It's Charlotte Ritchie. I felt Lynn was really real and credible for the first three quarters of the story. Again, she sort of got lost at the end. I felt she carried the story in many parts. She was the Dalek for a lot of this story. Before it got its armor, she was the Dalek. She was the one driving that car like a maniac. She was the one slamming it against the wall in the workshop trying to get rid of it. She was the one blowing people away with the gun. I thought she was really good when she spoke as the Dalek uh, emotionless and, and so on to the police officer. I thought, this is great. I'm buying this. She is really good. And she's my player of the week. Runner-up Jodie Whittaker, of course, but Charlotte Ritchie for me. I totally understand why you did that. She was a very good performance. My player of the week, I'm really pleased to say these words for the first time in 11 hot take reviews. My player of the week goes to Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Yay. I really did think she was very good in this um, in terms of performance. Still have the problems with her character or lack thereof. Not going to deny that. But I thought this was a much stronger performance from her. It was much more measured. She had some great scenes, some great dialogue. The confrontation with the Dalek on several occasions, you know, when she first sees the case, when she talks to it over the the hologram, good Jodie moment. So I thought, yeah, really pleased that Jodie did well in this. Yeah, I I was delighted with Jodie too. Definitely my runner-up. Shall we explain our words of the week? Yeah, Rob, so go ahead. Yours was... Tribute. Okay, I suspect I know where you're going, but tell us. (laughs) Well, you may do, you may not. Uh, I have mentioned it, though, earlier in in a certain way. I think this felt like a tribute or possibly a homage to the Russell T. Davis era. Yep, fair enough. I I get what you're saying there. It was just a fun adventure, and that's good. Hmm. Dave, you came up with... Resolution, which, look, is a pun on the title of the episode, obviously. Mm. But I think it works really well because you know, Rob, and I'm sure our listeners who've been listening to us know just how down I was on the initial resolution of Series 11 and yes. the Battle of Wherever It Was because I just thought that was such a terrible final episode. Oh, and freaking I, awful. Yeah, it, 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 it was bad as a standalone episode, but it was particularly bad as a resolution. Yeah. So I'm very pleased that now we can actually call 
this episode the resolution of the season and i think that the season feels much better for me to have this proper resolution at the end i said at the time that we did our hot take review and in, indeed even our summary that maybe this would be the real season finale and that's why battle of somewhere um felt so unlike a finale i okay. think they should have advertised that as the fact I think they really should have sold, no, 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 this is not the finale. This is just episode 10. The finale's in three weeks' time. Hold, hold, you know, hold your hat. Yeah. Uh, that would have been very very much better for me. So I'm very pleased that there was a very positive finish to the series. That, that actually did do those closing things. You know, They all went off together, having resolved a number of plot threads, having resolved a number of character arcs, had a, a good adventure. They go off in the TARDIS and say, right, we'll be back in a year or so. So as a resolution, this actually worked really well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it actually, the ending made me want to watch more Doctor Who sooner than I did at the end of Series 11. At the end of Series 11, I was like, okay, well, that's the series done. and We're not going to have a series in the next 12 months. Um, I don't particularly care. After the ending there, I thought, mm, I think I'll miss it in you know in 12 months from now when there's still no doctor who on screen i'll i'll be missing it yeah absolutely i felt a lot more excited about more doctor who at the end of this than i did at the end of the season absolutely um which just leaves us with uh listener tweets and some things to wrap up before we get there though i guess we've got to rate this and and wrap it up do you want to go first or shall i look i'll go first and Mm. give it a very uncertain eight out of ten snap (laughs) um i suspect my view on this is either going to go up or down over the next few months as i think about it but right now it was a really fun a plot a really good use of the dalek original creative good use of jody some good scenes with graham although underused and wasted good scenes with ryan underused and wasted yasmin was there and i thought there was a lot to like in this episode i really really did uh, let down by it being slightly too long and just some clunky moments, some B-plot stuff that just didn't need to be there. It could have been, you know, you know, cut away the fat and this is a really good episode. So, yeah, I think eight's fair. Yeah, look, I scored at eight out of ten, hence my snap. Um, based on the scores, I gave everything else in this past series. So if I'm comparing it to the past series, it's right up there with the best of the Whitaker era so far. Again, it was the most RTD-like to me. Basically, I think this is where Doctor Who should sit most weeks, if not every week. Yet, I do have this fear that Chibnall feels this was really pushing the boat out. This was throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it. This was extra super-duper special. And no, Chris. Chris, listen. That was normal. Yes. That should be your baseline, Chris. Yes. Do do that every week, Chris. And your your super-duper ones above that will then be what we call bona fide stone-cold classics. This is your baseline. This isn't you at the top of your game. This is you where you should be every week, mate. Get on it. Totally agree. Mm. Do I sound like a footy coach with <laughs> with this hoarse voice and being a bit more aggressive this episode, Dave? A little bit, but I like it. Mm, okay. we, have, we have some tweets, I believe, Rob. We do. I'll kick off with David Clark at David Clark 14 I thought this episode was by far the best of this series and one of the best Dalek-based stories since the show's return. The B story with Ryan's dad was well done too. 
and a proper evil Dalek. 10 out of 10 for me. And how about the Chibnall death count, boys? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot packed into that tweet. Thank you, David. Was it the best by far of the series? It's a contender. Uh, top I'm, three I, for me. Yeah, it, it, it's top three. Whether it's number one, yeah, water needs to fly under the bridge for me to decide that. One of the best Dalek-based stories since the show returns. Look, it's not up there as good as Dalek or as good as Parting of the Ways slash Bad Wolf or as good as Stolen Earth Journey End, which to me are the three classic Dalek stories. It's outside of them. But yeah, it's probably probably next. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's up there. Again, it's up there. It's up there, yeah. And yes, the Chimnal Death Camp, yeah. <coughs> Fantastic. <laughs> we had one from Darren Signal at DC Signal, who in response to our request for hot take tweets on this you know within the next five minutes said come on guys that's not enough time so let's have a guess six out of ten including plus one for daleks and minus one for the writer how did i do well you're a little off darren um i i liked it a a bit more than that uh we both did but we both said the dalek was the biggest positive and we both said some of the clunky writing was the weakest negative so he probably got the harder part right there if the score was slightly off yeah, absolutely. Simon Pittman at Library Player says, Great episode, had more of a series finale feel to it. Like the Dalek design, hope we see elements of it again. Uh, yeah, good thoughts there, Simon. Yeah, as I said, it definitely feels more like a finale. Simon might mean the way the uh, the, the head sort of lit up uh, red. You know, maybe Daleks might light up a bit more inside in the future. Who knows? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Andy Taylor at Bodge77. I did actually quite enjoy it, although I didn't think there was a lot of plot and I wasn't interested in Ryan's dad. But in another season, this would have been an average episode. Against a lot of poor stories, this seemed good. The Escape Mutant did remind me of Resurrection. Ah. Uh, Yeah, I, I got those vibes as well. And that's exactly what you were just saying there, Rob. This should be an average episode, but it actually is a top episode because of an average season. Yeah. David at David's Ideas. How many years did it take him to get to that Pacific Island? I guess he means the uh, the courier taking the body part out to the Pacific Island. Uh, in that era, gosh, I don't know. How long would it have taken? Months, I guess. Uh, yeah. Much a year, so. maybe. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. Mm, that's my guess, a year. <laughs> uh, Bernard at Bernard JKD, once again running into us. Thank you for being regular, Bernard. Well, the New Year special didn't save Series 11, did it? Was as dull and unwatchable as any of the other eps this season. New episodes, same old complaints. Jody about as convincing as any cosplayer on a fan VHS. Wow. Uh, I take the point Bernard's making. Look, we were more positive towards it than that, but uh, Bernard wasn't. And, and I've seen a few other tweets of that vibe as well. Um, so, you know, some fans didn't like this. Although I think a lot of fans did think it was better than the series had been generally. I think so too. Uh, Paolo at Chop Monkey, and he's actually replying to Bernard, uh, which you've just read out, and copying us in. He says, Brilliant ep, original use of a Dalek, tension and peril, not sure what you were watching. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Look, there's going to be some disagreement. Um, mm. We'll see the feedback on social media over the next days and weeks, and we'll start hearing more podcast reviews over the next days and weeks as well. Yes, indeed. Robert McKnight, at Robert underscore McKnight. Good, but a bit too much melodrama. Thought I was watching EastEnders at times. 
There you uh, go. That's the RTD thing, Dave. It is the RTD thing, and it's also the point I made that there's a time and a place for EastEnders-style drama, and when it's taking me away from watching a Dalek, that's not the time in my view. <laughs> and to round things out, some late mail from Mark Cameron. Mark, you tweeted this to us after the deadline, but I fished it out of Twitter all the same. What to say in a tweet? Some good stuff, some bad stuff, but overall enjoyable enough. Would it have been better as 45 minutes? Question though, how was the Dalek defeated in the past? What we were told didn't ring true knowing Daleks as we do. Did I miss something when distracted? No, is the simple answer there, Mark. Yeah, it's a question that we asked, and thank you, Mark, for asking it as well. They did have that illustration in the book of the Daleks sort of captured under some sort of net. So whether there was a particular element or metal or something that they were able to use to immobilise the Dalek. But, I mean, that said, I've got to be honest, episode 10 of the Daleks' master plan, the ancient Egyptians do manage to stop a Dalek by putting bricks around its base. So... Mm. Um, <laughs> um, they it, couldn't fly in those days I they guess, couldn't Dave. fly in those days no and um in, in the novelization actually they they sort of cover the dalek in bricks and then um build the sphinx over the top of it to trap it which is quite funny um so look i mean there is precedent for it but you're right i really genuinely do hope that we will see this episode in the future at some point and not just as a big finish special Mm, that would be very cool, actually. Moving on from tweets, we have some mail. We, we got through a ton of mail in our last uh, wrap-up episode of Series 11, but we have some new mail here, Dave. This is from Martin Gardner. Yes. He says, Hello! Thank you for such a great podcast. Just wanted to drop a line asking your thoughts on the Season 19 Blu-ray box set, assuming you have bought it or seen it. Considering the cost, I reckon it's amazing. The upscaling to HD for the film sequences is incredible. For instance, the scenes in the forest on Castrovalva look like they could have been filmed this year. What seasons are you looking forward to being released on Blu-ray? And if we deleted the Battle for Rav4 Carpool... <laughs> if we deleted the Battle of Rav4 Carpool... I'm sure that's the title, isn't it? From Series 11, so pretend it takes you away was the last episode. Does that make for a more satisfying completion of the series? From Martin Gardner. Thank you, Martin. A lot of thoughts there. To take your last question first, the answer is a very emphatic yes... Uh, whilst I had some issues with It Takes You Away, it was a very clever, well-done episode, and the conclusion was very wonderful. And, and and yes, now I think about it, the idea of the Doctor confronting that that pocket universe, doing all that emotional stuff, and then having that lovely scene at the end saying goodbye, that would have been a far better conclusion than um, the battle of um, my cat walked over the keyboard. So <laughs> uh, I, it's a yes for me on that question, Rob. I, I agree, because you know what? Just thinking about it, uh, if you're going to downplay the season finale, It Takes You Away would, would be a beautiful way to downplay it. But when you go to the season finale saying, this is the battle of blah, 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 people are expecting the battle of blah, 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 funnily enough. And that's where maybe some of the disappointment comes from in terms of it being a pretty pants finale. Yeah, look, I agree with that. In terms of the season 19 Blu-ray, I have pre-ordered my copy uh, locally from the Australian um, suppliers. So it's actually not released for another two or three weeks, I'm afraid. 
That's right. I'm in the same boat there, Dave. So two or three weeks, we'll get to see it for ourselves. What I can say is I've heard that some of the film scenes look really, really good on HD. But uh, like the Tom Baker box set, which Dave and I both have, uh, a lot of the studio stuff doesn't actually look that much better on Blu-ray, I've got to say. You know, it is it is a little better. But, you know, so it's, it's a game of two halves. I'm looking forward to seeing how some of the film stuff looks, but I'm, I'm not expecting great things from when they step into the TARDIS scenes, for example. Yeah, so look, hopefully allowing for shipping and postage, we will have some comments for this in our January episode. That would be good, yeah. Uh, in terms of which seasons I'd like to see released on Blu-ray, look, all, all the obvious ones, season 18, because it is such a... Uh, sumptuous and luscious looking season where the money's been spent well but so many great stories season 26 again there's, there's great filming in that really good stories um, season 7 I would like to see because it's my favourite season and I love them all but I don't know how that would look on Blu-ray so I'm a little careful about that uh, season 1 would absolutely be something I would love to see get the Blu-ray treatment and get those episodes looking really, really pristine. Uh, they're my obvious picks. Rob, what about you? Uh, my obvious picks would be all of Davo. Um, <laughs> and beyond that, actually, all of Colin and all of Sylvester for the simple reason that those doctors are still around. Colin and Sylvester aren't getting any younger. I say get these guys filming their big retrospectives now, get their Blu-rays out now, the uh, more of the Pertwee stuff and the earlier stuff can wait uh, because we're just not going to get the same level of uh, interactivity with the Doctors because they're not around anymore, sadly. I say go hell for leather on 5, 6 and 7. Yeah, look, that actually is a very rational argument to make. And season 21, particularly, I'd like to see. And it'll be interesting to see, do they put Twin Dilemma in Season 21 or put it in a Colin Baker set? It's interesting. I think the... the pedants and the fans out there would like to see it in uh, in Davo's set well I would like to see it in Colin's set interesting <laughs> <laughs> so Rob that's our wrap up for our officially our December episode coming out on January 2 <laughs> um, but that's <laughs> yes. okay for, for obvious reasons now for the rest of the year we'll be back into our regular monthly episodes last Sunday of every month and we'll have a number of topics there now we have no hot takes to do this year Rob so that means that whilst we won't be doing those, it gives us a bit more time to do some other special projects and little odd episodes to put out onto the feed. So it will be a slightly different year from us in 2019 than it was in 2018. It was a new age, Dave. <laughs> it was the end of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I could do a great Londo with this cold, I tell you what. Speaking uh, of, I would love to do another alternate galaxies, not on Babylon 5, of course, but on something else. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So I think with, with less hot takes, we'll have the uh, just the personal time and capacity to do stuff like some more alternate galaxies and some more specials and standalones. So yeah, we look forward to doing that over 2019. Indeed. Something else I've promised myself I'm going to do over the start of 2019, Rob, is I want to do a little bit of a mini uh, retrospective or mini revisit of the Matt Smith era. Oh, okay. Now, as you and I'm sure our regular listeners know, it's not a favourite era of mine, and he's not a favourite Doctor of mine. But within the era, there are sort of five, six, seven episodes that people keep saying, no, no, you need to watch that one again. Or, mm. look, I know you were down in the series when you saw it, but watch it again. That one was really good. Or try that one again. And I've got a list of sort of five, six, seven episodes that I think, you know what, they do deserve another chance from me, sort of separated from my watching of the Smith era when I was down on Doctor Who or when I did stop watching Doctor Who. So 
at some point in the next few months, I'm going to do a bit of a mini Smith revisit. And listeners, if there's an episode that you think is a good standalone episode of the Smith era, I need to give another go. Uh, tweet the Doctor Who show and I'll add it to my list. Oh, well, I'll get in first, Dave, and say uh, Amy's Choice, Vincent and the Doctor, the Doctor's Wife, uh, the Girl Who Waited. Ooh, they're probably my top four. Uh, yeah, God Complex is one. Oh, God, that's one of them too. Yep, Christmas Carol <laughs> is one. Yes, if you're including specials, absolutely. Yeah, so there are only sort of half a dozen episodes that I will go back and have another crack at. Um, and a couple of the finales as well, just because I just genuinely don't remember them. Mm, that's right. Now, look, folks, if you enjoy listening to us, and gosh, you must be an odd person if you do, um, we are also on other podcasts around this time of year, Dave. We were recently on the New to Who Christmas episode. Uh, yes, so us and a number of our friends in fandom all featured on that episode talking about our all-time favourite stories. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, over the course of the year, the New to Who guys, when they were doing their standalone episodes with us, would also get us to record, you know, what's your favourite episode? And we'd give a little, you know, brief take on that. And they've stitched it all together with a Christmas theme. And it's a really enjoyable episode to listen to because I didn't know what you said. I think you might have heard me record mine, though. I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't know what you said. So that was really great. And there's a lot of really good comments on that. Um, outside of that, Dave, you're also on the 42 to Doomsday uh, Christmas edition this year. Uh, yes, so 42 to Doomsday have been on hiatus for the last 18 months, but they did come back and do a Christmas special, as they always did. Uh, myself, a uh, friend of the podcast, Richard, and of course, 42 to Doomsday hosts, Mark and Rob, um, were, were both part of that. So that, that was, again, four of us in a room just talking about various topics for Christmas Having fun, having a laugh, some serious topics, some lighthearted topics. Yes, parts of it don't pull punches. And gosh, doesn't Mark seem disappointed with Doctor Who at present? He, he does. There's a real mixture of views about um, the new series. But yeah, we cover stuff like problematic Doctor Who. And we also do our Fan Wake of the Year segment. So uh, <laughs> lots of fun doing that. Uh, whilst we had them all in one room, we did actually record a couple of commentaries for episodes of The Goodies based on the new Goodies uh, DVD box set, the first of which covering South Africa is now out for the Goodies Pirate podcast, find us on iTunes, uh, and there'll be at least another three coming out over the next couple of months, and of course Spacefall, the Blake 7 podcast will be continuing in 2019 we'll be dropping the episode Shadow around about the time this episode will drop, and continuing with season 2 of Blake 7 as for me, I'm going to take a half a week off before I go back to work, and I'm not releasing any more podcasts until then. <laughs> Enjoy your half a week. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, then. On that note, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you on the 27th of January for our first episode of the new season of The Doctor Who Show. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who. 